scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jude, verses 1 through 4. That's Jude 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray your blessing, Lord, as we, uh, as we gather around it, as we consider it. May you speak to our hearts, Lord. Give each one of us that uh, encouragement and that word we need to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I... Um, <clears throat> Some years ago in our house, we lived in Watertown, and we used to get, you know, little ants in our house that would come occasionally. Ants never bothered me that much. I actually always kind of liked ants a little bit and felt like I wasn't terribly threatened by them. When I was uh, in college, you know, I was in an apartment with four other guys. We're all like 20 years old. And um, all of us, none of us wanted to clean because we thought, I'm not going to be the only one cleaning. You know, if these guys aren't going to clean, it's not going to be me. So you basically had four guys not cleaning at all place was disgusting <laughs> and as I said there were lots of ants all right lots of the kitchen was like covered with ants only for the first semester the second semester there were no ants because I think that just our place grossed them out <laughs> you know they're like we have that's what I that's the only conclusion I could have is they went man we have standards and these guys are not even meeting our standards here but uh <clears throat> I wish I was exaggerating, I'm, uh, I'm not. But uh, all that to say is, I, you know, I, I was never that worried about ants, you know. I, 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 we beat them out one time, I can beat them out again. So anyway, so they, uh, we started to get some ants in Watertown in our place, but they weren't those little ants like I had in college. They were the big boys, which I actually thought were kind of cool. You know, you watch them like carry these big things around, you know, what is it? Um, like the, you know, these big things, and I think, and they look great, you know? I know it looks kind of gross, but I always found them really interesting. And uh, I guess they're carpenter ants, is that what they are? So anyway, they, you know, it used to be like one, two, that kind of thing, and then it became more and more. Then it was like every day, little bits, and or some guy, somebody coming over and going, hey, you know, those are carpenter ants, they could, they could do a lot of damage. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I got to think, I'll, I'll, and it's getting more and more and more and more groupings. It, you know, I probably need to deal with this, but at some point. And then, you know, in our, you know, dining room, you know, floor was getting a little soft. <laughs> in one spot, you know, like, huh, and then the, uh, I thought, you know, yeah, it's, it's water stuff, who knows. 
And then the sliding door wasn't like it was sticking. <laughs> you know, they get out and you're gone. I can't think we need to deal with this. And you know, you come, and, you, know, that, you know, whatever the contractor comes over and kind of looks at that stuff and goes, I think there's like there's a bunch of stuff happening here. And they, they go underneath and it's just this giant, you know, colony. <laughs> right underneath our dining room. And when the exterminator went in there, it was just so gross. So that's all I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> We're going to walk away with that, you know. <laughs> but you know, you get on these things early with courage. You know, now, why don't you get on it? You know, is it just lazy? It's like sometimes it's like you don't want to deal with it. It's also like you're a bit intimidated. How am I going to deal with this? And am I going to open up a can of worms by dealing with it and all this? But ultimately, by not dealing with it you're going to have to deal with it and does damage. And the reason I bring that up, we're beginning a new series um, in the book of Jude. And in many ways, in the same way, people had come in fairly innocuously into the church, you know, probably even thinking, oh, this is not a big deal, it's that thing. And it grew and it became worse to the point now where it so fish that it was undermining the very structure of the church and of the faith and how they understood it, the gospel all of it was coming apart, and he's and Jude is arguing with them that you need to keep the faith. You need to fight for that faith right now and to stand up. And that's really what this this uh, you know series is about. You know, and and as we go through it, you know the uh, these these things that are coming to undermine our very faith and the kind of exhortation God gives us to fight it. And uh, so that's and and it's a great series. So we're today going to mostly introduce the series talk about who Jude is, who he's writing to, what the circumstance is, but then also hitting on what I think is one of the key themes, which I think is incredibly applicable into our lives today, and something that's the kind of thing which I think each one of us need to walk with, an ever-present thing in our walk with God. So, keeping the faith from the book of Jude. So, firstly, when you talk about the book of Jude, if you go to any commentary, they almost all start with the same first line, which says, uh, Jude is legendarily the least studied book in the entire New Testament, if not the Bible. You know, not many people look at Jude. Why is that? Um, well, number one, it's only 25 verses, the entire book. Not a whole lot. In fact, you may even see when she said, like, the verse things up there, it's just like one to four. People look at that and go, oh, gosh, they had a typo. You know, they forgot to put the little colon there. We, you know, the scriptures are, there is no colon because there are no chapters. That's it verses one to four, but that's not the only reason it's not looked at very often. It also references some kind of obscure Jewish writings, you know, apocryphal writings, you know, Book of Enoch, Assumption of Moses. People find that kind of weird, um, and they don't know what to do with it. And even Jude, like, who is Jude? You know, I don't see him in the apostle list. He doesn't seem like one of the famous guys. Who is this guy? So you combine all that kind of stuff, and people just kind of go, oh, I don't know about that book. It's in there. It's kind of near the end. Don't look at it much. But yet, it's actually really fascinating. And if you know, I mean, there, if there's one verse which probably everybody here knows has heard a number of times is the benediction. The last two verses in the book of Jude are really well known. You know, to him, you know, to him who's able to keep us from falling and present us before his, you know, glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior. I mean, it's amazing. And we'll go on with that. And it's just, and that idea is what actually sums up. The reason it's said so many times in the benediction is because it has such incredible application into our lives and of truth to remember, but it also sums up the letter, which we're going to get at today. So, um, who is Jude? 
so the, the book starts with this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, one thing you catch off the bit of that is um, they seem to be known people at the very least as you look at that. You know, folks seem to know and you know, James and Jude, and, and people have different opinions on it. Jude, by the way, in, in the Greek and the uh, obviously underlying Hebrew is Judah, you know, uh, then, you know, also one of the tribes of Israel, Judah, common name. But the most commonly, uh, the consensus view on who Jude is and the traditional view on it, which I think is accurate and true, is that Jude is um, Jesus' brother. And you can see from um, a lot of people going, Jesus had brothers? Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, as it says in Matthew 13, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name, Mary, speaking about Jesus, isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Or Judah, same, it's all, all the same name. Um, so he's a, he was a brother, and you can tell that James actually is the key brother here, as he's you know, also said in that thing, the brother of James. James was a key leader in the early church. You know, we see him in, in Acts 15. You know, he's establishing leadership there. Historically, from the book of Josephus, we know about James. Um, you know, in the Galatians, Paul references James. You know, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Again, saying, you know, who he is. He was, again, these key figures, James, Cephas, and John. And Cephas, remember, is, uh, is Peter. So James, Peter, and John, and those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And so, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, Peter and John, the pillars of the early church. And often you always talk about them and they would talk about the pillars being that and Paul, the four pillars of the early church. And why that's important, uh, many folks believe, I do, that um, that's, why you, that's where you get four gospels. You wonder why are these four accounts? Each one of the Gospels is established, you know, is connected to each one of these pillars. You know, obviously John is John, but, um, you know, Luke was with Paul, Peter and Mark together, and then Matthew, the Jewish Gospel with, you know, James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But anyway, just there you are, little tidbit. It'll serve you no purposes in your life, <laughs> most likely. But interesting, huh? I think it's interesting. So, um, but again, that's uh, the key here. Um, I think actually more interesting than who this Jude is, is the phrase he uses here to describe himself. Um, he describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And there's different words for servant. You know, one servant, you know, you can use the word like where we get deacon, diakonos. But this is the word doulos, which is more like slave. And it's particularly of apologetic note that someone who is, uh, is, their brother, flesh and blood brother, who they were raised up with, they're calling and referring to as I'm a slave of this, and later, you know, the sovereign and Lord and Savior, you know, this person who is their brother. And it's not like they always held this view of their brother. And it's funny how the gospel accounts actually, and the Bible wants you to track the change in his siblings' view, because I think it does have incredible value as something's true. I mean, this, these are the people who are closest to him, who knew him best. And look at some of the early reactions when Jesus was starting his ministry. Um, I love it. You know, Jesus goes up on a mountainside, calls to him those he wanted. They came to him. He appoints 12 and that, that he might be with them, that he might send these 12 out to, right, to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So the next verses are he's naming all the 12. And then it says Jesus enters a house, and again a crowd gathers to him, and he his disciples are not even able to eat. 
And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, and they said, he is out of his mind. This is like one of my favorite verses. I think it's utterly hilarious. You know? So he's, he's gathering all these people here. Drive out demons. You know, send you all out. His family's just going, guys, guys, shh. He's out of his mind, all right? He's totally losing it right here. But it tells you something how they're, it really was like this family. They grow up, and he is like doing this. And they're like, what is he saying? What kind of claims is he doing? What is this guy doing with crowds all around him? That's how his own flesh and blood reacted. You can imagine for a lot of folks, you think, well, gosh, that's probably the biggest evidence that he is a phony, right? That his own family is thinking, hey, 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 we know him better than any of you guys. You cannot trust this guy. And uh, even as he goes on in his ministry, even farther, like in John, it says when the Jewish piece of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. You know, his brothers are saying, yo, leave Galilee, go to Judea so your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And this is all kind of sarcastic. Why are you going here? Hey, go up to Jerusalem. Do your little thing you're doing. You know, because it says even his own brothers didn't believe in him. So you can, you know, the people very closest. And then what you then find, and then you have him calling himself a slave of this one to whom they are cynical and not even believing him. And you're thinking, how did this change? How did they go from this? And it's really not just Jude. You could see historically even the other brothers, besides James being the early church, you know, who was ultimately martyred for his faith. And they think probably all the brothers were eventually martyred, even as they went off and missional leaders in different places. You know, and you can see what probably changed them all, and what seems to be is the resurrection. If you see in the book of Acts already, you see this change, that all these leaders are gathering constantly in prayer and there now mary the mother of jesus and his brothers have gathered as well and they are in prayer and again they ultimately go on to become leaders in the very early church itself his brothers who didn't believe in him and uh and so you know again we talk about evidence for for us it may seem far away that not so you know so convincing to us we imagine the early church was you know amazingly important figures you know, the people who would be the most cynical, the most unbelieving, who knew him the best, now call him, you know, he calls James my brother, but Jesus doesn't say brother, he says he's my Lord. And again, you can tell also the, the importance of these, uh, these um, <clears throat> uh, who Jude and James obviously were well known just by not needing any other affiliation there, that they were these known leaders and known figures. So who was he writing to? That's who wrote it, Jude, writing it to those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Uh, basically, it's not a specific address. It's not to a church in any one place. So do we know where it's from? To its due? No, we don't. Um, we don't know the context. You can see from the letter, though there's a lot of specificity throughout the letter. So it seems to be very specific situations, but it was then used more generally and it copied all over. Um, you have some... Uh, you have some clues from there. Even, what a great greeting. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, you do catch a clue even from there because in most greetings as you read New Testament letters, what word's missing there that's in almost every other letter? Grace, right? Which is more this Greek idea a little bit, this charis. And you can see the lack of it here and you start to get a hint even early on that it's a Jewish context he's most likely writing into. And you start to see also when he's quoting Enoch and Assumption of Moses and other traditional Jewish writings that were part of the 
you know, that well known within the Jewish milieu, you know, people would quote these kind of things. You start to see, okay, that's probably where he's writing it. James is also, remember, the leader in the early church in Jerusalem. But um, anyway, that's a little bit who it's from. More importantly, I think, is the context that he's writing in and who's he, what's the purpose of this letter. And you can see off the bat, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I want to talk about what has happened to us, talk about our faith, salvation. And uh, he goes, I wasn't able to do this because I instead, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith, to fight. To fight for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. This thing that has happened to us, this faith in which we stand, you know, this faith in Jesus, we have, you've got to fight for it. You see, that is one of the key exhortation and the purpose of this letter, that they would come up and they would fight for it. Because what's happened? Because certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. You know, that is the thing. Some folks have come in. You know, people, people love it when people kind of come in, have come into the midst of it. They kind of slipped in. But now it says, and what are they actually teaching? It says these people are, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And you can tell as you get into this letter that these guys had levels of influence and teaching, and they were obviously had some power in the midst of these, in the midst of the uh, congregation. You can see they're, this idea of perverting the grace of our God into a license for morality and um, that that's a key concept you can see here they're not like they're not like your classic heretics coming in or teaching these kind of weird teachings of spiritual stuff some people say it's not it's not like that kind of stuff what seems to be is my guess is they're not denying jesus in word at all they're probably confessing they're in the church confessing jesus as lord but the way they're living their life and applying, and what they're kind of teaching about how you can live your life is actually undermining the entire gospel message. You know, they're taking grace and twisting the idea of grace and making it into license. You know, being I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. And we'll talk more about specifically some of the stuff. And you could tell things about there's sexuality stuff, there's sex stuff going on, there's greed stuff, there's pride stuff, you know, boasting, all this kind of stuff going on. And it, among people within the church. And that's what he's saying you need to fight. And this idea of Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord, it's like a, a, double, a double whammy there, right? We know Lord means Lord. Sovereign there is the kind of word it would be like master. But he really, which links with slave and master. So the idea is that by the way you're living your life, in mouth you're saying he is my Lord, but the way you're living life, you're actually undermining his very lordship. You are denying his lordship in your life. You're denying that he is your master by virtue of how you're living your life and the things you're doing and teaching. So there you have the key context of, of uh, this letter. And, and over three weeks in November, next week we have our congregational meeting, we have a shorter message and we're not gonna be talking about Jude. But then we'll talk uh, these assurances through the, you know, the first week talking about, he gives these incredible assurances of God's hand being on things and how God deals with these things. How he's dealt with it in the past, he'll deal with it again. We'll talk in one week about what is the you know what is grace and how does it how does his forgiveness link with the, what we do you know and that kind of balance and the thing they did and then lastly which is one of the most I think one of the most powerful parts of the letter is really the very specific admonition is how do we walk in the midst of this world 
how do we walk with all this crazy stuff going on and these people teaching these things and things seem very out of control? I think it's very practical stuff. And so that'll be our sort of series as we walk through it. Today, um, I want to hit on one particular theme which rides over the whole letter, which I think is incredibly important. And you can see it implied here where it says those, these individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. And one thing you get from that is these folks who come in don't seem to be a big surprise, do they? You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, God's like, I had no idea this was going to happen, guys. I'm so, I'm so sorry about that. And later on even says, you know, in the letter, oh, we heard, you know, G our Lord Jesus and the apostles said this kind of stuff would happen. It's exactly what happened. It's not a shock. It's not crazy. God's aware of it, and he knows that. You know, I don't know about you, but it's just like, uh, am I the only one who's ever seen anything in the church that you're not comfortable with or some weird teachings that have come into it or stuff? Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff. I got to tell you, right, even like right now, this is like, you know, something I'm praying about a lot. You know, I'm not terribly happy, I'm not terribly happy politically with the church, you know, left or right. But that's me. I hate everybody. So that's <laughs> what so makes me such a loving Christian. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. That wasn't part of my script. Um, but there, there's stuff that comes in there, and I think sometimes we're shocked by it. Or you see, like, you know, Christians do things or stuff, and you think, oh, wow, you know, people, that, that's a total shock. It undermines the very gospel message. And you're thinking, no, this has always happened, always would happen, and always will happen. There'll always be people coming in, slipping in the mist, and doing crazy stuff. You know, th these kind of things that they're doing are, is what happens. So how do we act in the midst of it? And one of the first things he says is actually there's an interesting confidence. So he calls us to action, right, to contend for the faith. And, but he has this uh, incredible assurance we need to take hold of that not only that God knows what's going on, but even look at this greeting. He describes those, those who, I'm writing to people who have been called, who are loved by God, and kept. Kept's a very interesting word in there. King James, he's just preserved. You know, this idea that God has you. This is a key, key idea as you walk through this thing. This is not a shock. God has you, right? He has called you. He loves you. He has you. Now go out and fight. It's a very different idea. That the, um, this is what makes this, this is the benediction, right? And I really want you, we're actually, what I'm hoping to do is I'd like to see everybody here memorize this benediction. Over this next month, you have a certain verses that are good just to pop in your pocket and you walk around with, and I got that one. This is one of those I got those got that one down at the right time you pull that thing out in fact even let's just read it right together to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amazing. So many truths right there. And even like, even if there's one line we can walk away with today that it will go, let's get that first line down. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. We'll even do our little thing together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that a good truth to remember? 
in the midst of this thing as God is calling them to action. He says, you who's able to keep you from stumbling. And so God is able, God's putting him out there. and He goes, I'm sending you into this stuff, which is a mess, but I am able to keep you from stumbling. That's an incredible promise. You know, you're walking that thing. God can keep you from falling over. I can keep it. I, even though the, 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 the road is tough, you're stepping on rocks, but I, can, I can keep you from stumbling. And to present you before his glorious presence. You know, I will take that promise I've made you. I will take you, you know, up to be where I am without fault. And that's an incredible thing, too, because what does that give you confidence for? I'm not having to live a perfect life, you know? It's not like, even if, you, if you're messing up, if you make a mistake in the midst of this, trying to track after God and do this, he goes, I can actually, when I take you there, this is why Jesus died on the cross. I will make you clean without fault. This is, this is the true grace, right? Now, people have taken this thing and then twisted it into a license, right? He goes, no, it's not that. But God, you have a confidence to walk forward. There's nothing you do that could, can take you out of God's hand. He's kept you, he has you, and he presents you there. And it's not just without fault, it's with great joy. Don't you think sometimes, I sometimes think I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to be presented before his glorious presence and I'm going to say, yeah, God's washed me, but they're going to say, close one. <laughs> Garrett, just barely, you know? Or God's going to sigh and go, well, glad you're here. <laughs> you, know? you know, as opposed to the sense that you know, he takes us without stumbling, without fault, and with great joy in the presence of God. And he goes, and that's how I want you to walk now. I want you to keep the faith to walk with this incredible courage that God has you. Because I think we tend to react one of two ways, right, when we think about it. We, I think either when we talk, oh, we talk about God's sovereignty, that God is in control, that all things are in God's hands, it often can lead to passivity, can't it? You know, we kind of don't take action. Well, God will do it. I trust, I trust God, right? It's amazing how trust becomes a uh, really a, and then <laughs> becomes a bad way to understand, or passivity becomes a bad way to understand trust, or I, my, my language is off, but the idea that basically you can be passive and fake it as trust, you know, in our walk. And he's not calling us to that. You know, he's calling us to trust and to know he has you, but not to passivity, but to action. Because you can, or you can take the other side where you don't really think God has you and you think it's all on you. I have to do this. It is my, you know, if, the, if I don't do this, it'll never get done. You know, it is all on me. And you feel this pressure and this guilt and this thing. What he's what calling to is neither of those. He's calling you to a confidence, a, a fight, but a, a sense that God is with us, that he knows us, that he's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You can walk forward. You can attack the, the things in the church right here. You can step forward and deal with them, not because you're so smart, not because you're so insightful, not because you're so strong or have these amazing gifts, but because God is calling you. His calling, he loves you. He wants to use us. And this is not just for issues like this. I mean, I don't know about you, but I need courage every day in my life. There are things out there, you know, if it's just the world, it's your family, it's your job, it's the poly, it's every, you know, this craziness of the world. And it's amazing. The Bible doesn't say that it won't be crazy, that there won't be evil out there, there won't be terrible things done. It actually says it's the opposite. We always knew that stuff was going to happen. None of this stuff is a surprise, and you can still walk in the midst of it. 
And not just walk, you can actually be God's hands in the midst of it. You can fight for truth, fight for what's real, fight for the faith, and God is able to keep you from stumbling. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean you're not going to blow it. Actually, the fact without fault implies what? You'll do it with faults. Bad news for you. You're going to fight and you're just going to make mistakes. What his point is, it's all right. (laughs) It's all right to go out there and to do it and that God has you. And that's what he's calling us to. I think he's calling us to really courageous lives. He's saying to take these truths and not, not a way that makes you, and a lot of these guys were taking this courage and stuff and, and it became like boasting and stuff like that. He goes, no, there's a humility that you walk forward through knowing it's not you, knowing that God isn't, it's just God's grace that's helping me through this, that he's doing it. And it ends up in praise and ends up in humility in you. So there's just a, and not that, don't, I mean, what, think about like people in your life, if, if it's like uh, even at work or some, some folks who are willing to step up but you know there, there doesn't seem to be any ego. It doesn't need to control things. They're not thinking they're better than anyone else, but there's just a courage behind it, a, a, a courageous humility. And that's really what he calls to it in every aspect of our life, you know, to, to know we can stand up there and that he'll be with us, that we don't need to fear. We, can, we don't need to be blind to what we see. Oftentimes we don't even want to, we don't want to be in denial, like the ants. I'm kind of in denial of what it could do. And don't be in denial. Know what it is, but you can have the courage to face it and know that God is with you. And really, that's the message of the book of Jude. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He is the only God, our Savior. And to him is all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When? Well, before all ages right now and forevermore. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, uh, we come before you with uh, humble thanks, amazed, uh, amazed at your goodness and your grace towards us amazed at your promises confessing too lord that we uh, often don't walk in the courage that you want us to but i pray lord you let these truths drill into our hearts that we might live the kind of courageous lives you call us to knowing that you are with us and that you can keep us from stumbling we praise you and thank you lord in the name of jesus